Verse number one of Romans chapter number five. Therefore, being justified by faith. So we understood. And this is kind of setting the table. Uh, he is uh, transitional chapter. We are now talking about your and mine faith, our lives now having been justified in Jesus Christ. We are now saved. We're believers. We are children of God. And so now he's saying, because you've been justified, here's what you have. And he goes on to describe it. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We'll stop there. Let's just quickly, you see it there in parts on your outline. We saw these statements here. Number one, we have peace with God. Verse number one, the peace of God deals with situations. That's what a believer can have and can avail himself of in grace. The peace of God, that deals with such situations. But the peace that Paul speaks up here, the peace that Paul speaks of here, uh, peace with God, deals with our standing before God. And two different things, we saw that last time. We won't uh, beat the proverbial dead horse, but uh, we saw that last time as we were together. Number two, we saw this, and, and the idea of peace with God, that the declaration of our justification is likewise a declaration of peace, peace with God. As we talked about, there's no greater statement than to be able to say tonight, I am at peace with God. Isn't it interesting that sometimes even in Hollywood, someone's about to die and uh, they'll say, I'm at peace with my creator. You know, right before they die, that's like a catchphrase and so forth. Can I tell you, the only way to be at peace with your creator is through the Savior. (laughs) And that's what Paul speaks of here, that peace with God. Notice it, number two, we saw this, and this is a great statement. This is where we finished last time, is this focus on having access to God, access to that grace that flows from the God of all grace. And uh, access, what kind of access do we have? Direct access. No longer do we have to go through a human priest. No longer do you and I have to uh, stand with outside the veil and so forth. We have direct contact to God through prayer. And what a privilege that is. We talked about this access also being a confident access that He hears us. We have a boldness and, and, an, and confidence to come to Him by faith that he, whatsoever He hears of us, He'll do. And, and He'll answer our prayer. He hears our prayers what an encouragement that was as we studied it then last but not least number three it's an intimate we get to call him abba father Uh, we get to talk intimately to him because he is our god our personal god who knows us who loves us who cares for us individually and intimate access these are all the ramifications of you and i being justified in jesus christ uh, being saved and a, and a believer, a child of God. Remember, I put it this way two weeks ago. I like how one commentator described it. He says, these are the things that happen when grace reigns. For by grace are ye saved through faith. So when grace reigns, these are the things that are afforded you and I. When we allow Jesus Christ to sit on the throne and His grace to reign. And there's one final truth that we want to grab from this verse. Look at the rest of verse 2, just that last part. Notice what he says. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So what else do you and I gain? What else is the, uh, a byproduct of this being justified by faith? Well, you see it number 3 there. Glorification with God glorification with God. It has been wisely stated that in these two verses, Paul dealt with our past when he said you now have peace with God. 
So he dealt with the past. Then he dealt with our presence by saying, okay, today you have access to God through being justified. And now he also dealt with our future. The reality that you and I will one day gain glory, be in glory with God. Our glorification with him. The Greek term translated as rejoice here is translated some 20 times as glory in. It's also translated about eight different times in the New Testament as the word boast. As the word boast. So you think of it, we can boast in the hope of the glory of God this evening. It's the idea of having the privilege to boast of the hope we have in Christ. And what is that guaranteed hope? Well, it's that as a believer, I'm going to dwell in, with God in glory forever. So hard to um, wrap our minds around the, the concept of forever, isn't it? As we are finite beings attempting to understand an infinite, um, uh, uh, an infinite uh, concept. Okay, for some of our generations, you know, forever was uh, the everlasting gobstopper. Those came to an end too. Okay, and how many licks does it take to get to the bottom of a tootsie roll or the inside of a tootsie roll? You know, we think of forever. We think of things that last a long time, and yet that doesn't even begin to touch the surface of forever. And so, as you and I are here tonight, and we rejoice in our justification found only in Jesus Christ, my friend, do you realize that you're going to be in glory forever? Forever. Uh, it's hard to fathom, isn't it? But boy, I sure do can. I sure can rejoice in it. <laughs> I may not be able to wrap my mind around all of that and and uh, perfectly understand and comprehend what forever is i can certainly enjoy to the degree that i know about it and what it is enjoying a glorified body one separate and apart from sin the pain of this earth and the pain that sin causes furthermore in the future glorious state here's one of the best aspects about forever and glory is that you and i will worship and praise god in his full glory I am thankful that you and I can look around in our universe and creation and we can catch glimpses of the glory of God. But oh my friend, yea, we are yet to see God in all of His glory. And I'll tell you, my friend, that'll be some kind of worship service when we have and see God in all His glory, won't it? To worship Him literally as we might define it is bringing God glory through what? Assigning Him His true value, His true worth. That's worship is assigning to God His true value and His true worth. And man, what heaven will be like when you and I gather around the throne and we see God in all of His glory and we are moved to worship Him like at no other time in our lives. That's going to be the greatest worship of God. It's yet to come, certainly. What a day it's going to be. Can you imagine when millions of we believers are gathered and around His throne and we're in His kingdom and we are worshiping Him in an unrestrained manner and method that His glory is deserving of? I don't know about you, but I sure do look forward to that worship service when we exalt our Heavenly Father and our God. Don't, don't miss Paul's point here. Notice the terminology. And rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now think about it. What did Paul write just a few chapters ago? For all have sinned and come short of what? The glory of God. Isn't that neat? 
Here he is. He said, listen, we're sinners. We've come short. We can't even begin to ascertain and, and understand and grasp and, uh, the glory of God. But through Jesus Christ and being justified in him, the day is coming and we have the hope of one day being in the midst of God's glory. Being glorified, having a glorified body right next to God. And man, what a day that will be and what a truth that is. Christ's righteousness changed it all. You and I now have the hope of the glory of God. Now remember what I said about this chapter. It is one of the greatest proofs for you and I to understand that our salvation is secure. If it's all of God, then it certainly means that you and I can do nothing to lose it. Now, if there's something that you and I have done to earn, to gain, and to garner our salvation, then it becomes an imperfect salvation, and then it becomes a salvation you can lose. But this is not the case. Here we're saying, well, this is all of God. It's everything that He has obtained, and therefore it is further proof. Uh, It is further proof that we cannot lose our salvation because it's all of what God did and simply our faith in it, what Christ did. And if it was of you and I, there really wouldn't be much to glory in. But here we can glory in God. What what once we failed so miserably short of in justification, now you and I have hope to be part of the glory of God. We're so blessed this evening to have the hope of salvation and a future glorification of God. Now, let's understand. He, he then says, okay, let's, here's some practical application of that hope of the glory of God. Look in verse 3, if you will, with me. Let's read through verse 5. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation work of patience and patience experience and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us us so what's he's telling us well he's telling us that with the reign of grace being justified being a believer um, as our standing is that we are justified sinners before god there is something else that we glory in he just got done saying we rejoice we we glory in the hope of the glory of god well now he says okay there's something else that we ought to glory in what is it tribulations tribulations Now let's think for a moment, as we've often observed, there's no doubt in my mind, as I am sure it is, there's no doubt in your mind, Paul had to have been the tenured professor when it comes to tribulations in life. (laughs) He he had to be the expert, the go-to guy. Certainly, as we might understand it, it seems that God ordained and orchestrated Paul's life so that he would be the foremost expert and teacher in the New Testament when it comes to persecution and tribulations. His life seemed to be one big tribulation, one big uh, time of persecution after another, after another, after another. And so it is Paul that, that writes these things. These are not common challenges to every human being. In other words, when Paul says here, listen, hey, glory in tribulation. He doesn't speak of a tribulation of, of you and I and uh, having a flat tire and, and uh, uh, an appliance going out or, or things that happen to every human being. That's not what he's speaking of here. It isn't the normal challenges and tribulations and trials of life. That's not what Paul speaks of. That's not what God speaks of. This is a particular and qualified tribulation or tribulations what it is simply that we see referred to here it's the unique problems the unique challenges the unique suffering that comes from being a disciple of jesus christ and the greater the disciple of jesus christ the greater the tribulations 
Let me put it this way, and I think it's a great statement. You have it there in your outline, and we left several blanks, okay? So you've got to fill them in. Number one, first of all, the greater the degree of discipleship, the greater the degree of discipleship. So the degree of your fellowship, we might say. I know it's not a word, but I like it, so I use it. Okay? The degree of your fellowship of Jesus Christ to the degree of your fellowship or your discipleship. Okay? So the greater degree of your discipleship, the greater the depth of your persecution. The greater the depth of your persecution. So the greater the degree of your discipleship, the greater the degree of your persecution. It is a principle found throughout scriptures. In fact, it is not only found in scriptures, but it is confirmed in life experience. You see, you can walk into a place, and, and a workplace, and you cannot let anybody know you're a Christian. You can just kind of keep it to yourself. You cannot share the, the gospel. Don't hand out tracts. Don't talk about going to the church. Don't talk about the Bible. Don't talk about God. And likelihood is you're not going to suffer any persecution for following after Jesus Christ. But in your family, in your workplace, or handing out a track at a, at a gas station or knocking on doors, the more you follow Christ openly and you let it shine, Rowdy is the greater persecution you're going to face. It has been that way since the, 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 the beginning of, of time, honestly. From Cain and Abel. I mean, one followed after God and did what was right, and what happened? Well, persecution. All down through time. Now, understand, think of it in terms of, uh, of even what Paul was speaking of here. You follow after Christ, you're going to suffer. It all rests on this, doesn't it? We know it well. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, isn't it funny? We understand this. This is probably one of the least attractive promises found in the Scripture. You know, when we have Thanksgiving and we have a time of, of praises and people are saying, I'm so thankful for this promise. Yeah, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. I'm so grateful for this promise over here that God said he's going to provide. I'm so thankful. You don't hear typically someone stand up and say, you know what? I'm so thankful for the promise that God says when I live godly, I'm going to suffer persecution. That's typically not the testimony. That's not the promise we point to. Man, I'm so thankful for all the promises of God's word. But is that a promise or isn't it? Yea, and all that will live godly will sh suffer persecution, shall suffer persecution. You're going to suffer it. it. You live godly to the degree of your discipleship, the greater the degree of your persecution. Isn't it true in some of your lives? You have family members, you have friends. You start going to church on a Sunday morning, you start going to Sunday night, you start going to Wednesday, you start reading your Bible, you start talking about what God is teaching you, and, and you start saying, well, our family's not doing that anymore. We, we've drawn some lines where we think that some things that please God and are obedience to His Word, and even family members, even friends, they start looking at it and saying, well, man, you're a fanatic. Don't you think you're going overboard with this? See, the greater the degree of discipleship, the greater the depth of persecution. That's what he's talking about. These are tribulations, not just a common uh, a tire that goes flat, uh, an appliance that doesn't work, uh, a cold, uh, a cough, uh, uh, whatever the case. No, no, no. He is specifically speaking of those that come because you and I are justified. We have been created a new creature, and now we are desiring to follow after Jesus Christ in all things. And boy, you do that, you're going to suffer some unique tribulations, some unique persecutions what Paul is speaking of here, and he certainly is not the first one to do it. When Christ was here preaching on earth, 
He laid the groundwork for the New Testament church. Did Christ know what was going to happen in the book of Acts in the new church in Jerusalem? Sure. He understood all the persecution. Was going to, did he know that Saul, uh, who was become Paul, was going to be one of the greatest persecutors of the church? Yes. That he himself would likely kill people that followed after Christ and then himself become one who is, uh, people attempt to kill because he followed after Christ? Yes. Jesus Christ knew all this, so he was attempting, even in his preaching and teaching, to lay the groundwork for the believers of the New Testament church. What did he say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10? He said this, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed for right the the righteous the holy living that you display is going to create and cause others to persecute you the tribulations you're going to go through them you're going to be persecuted as you can probably guess that probably wasn't one of his favorite sayings teachings it wasn't easily digested spiritually in an understanding level and so what does he do he repeats in the very next verse he kind of expounds upon it doesn't he notice what he says blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake couple qualifiers there falsely and for my sake but nonetheless it's persecution so Christ, even as Paul is saying here, you're going to suffer tribulation. You're going to suffer persecution. It's going to happen to you. And so, excuse me, as he makes this point, then he says this. Okay, this is going to happen. If you're going to follow me, in fact, we know even after the Beatitudes, many, many of his disciples walked away. <laughs> Some of those hard sayings, they didn't want to follow it. Uh, they understood, wow, this is going to cost me something. And the reality is, after, all, after he said those two things, you're, you're going to be persecuted, they're gonna, men are going to revile you, uh, understand, it's going to happen. Then he said this, he gives a little perspective to it, and he speaks, listen carefully, he speaks to the attitude we should have in the midst of that. He said, okay, as you are persecuted, as you're reviled, as people treat you unfairly and unkindly, for my sake, and, and can I tell you, my friend, I, I, I think and I, I, I believe it, I believe we're, we're being set up, even in the United States of America, to start suffering more persecution. I was reading a story about a young man that was going to China. This is actually several decades ago, but he was going to China as a missionary. And before he left, somebody asked him, one of his friends, he's a Christian, and a fellow Christian asked him, he says, if God loves the church and the, the, the believers in China so much, why is he allowing them to be persecuted? Why is that, that happening? In fact, in, your, in our um, prayer bulletin, there is a letter, I believe, from Eddie Ray, and it's getting worse over in China even today. It's, uh, they're, taking the, they're shutting down the, the house churches. They're shutting down the Christian schools and things. They're still not able to have a church in the same place every week in a row. And they're having to, I mean, it's getting worse. And, and the, the, the leader over there is attempting to show that he is more powerful than any leader leader that China's never had before. And so he's singling out Christians to use them as the means to do that. But this Christian, as that person asked them that question, if God loves the, the church in China, if God loves believers, why is he allowing persecution to happen? And as he was leaving America, the young man had no answer. He could answer it. But he went over to China and he spent some time among the people there and in the churches and ministered. And, and while he was there, it dawned on him. And he made this statement. He said, when I get back home, I'm going to go to that guy. I'm going to ask him this question. 
In response to his question, I'm going to ask him this. If God loves the church of America so much, why isn't he allowing persecution? It's an interesting perspective, isn't it? From Acts and other places, we know what persecution does to a church. It purifies, it strengthens, and literally it builds. It builds the church. So it's an interesting question. I do believe in the direction we are going culturally and even as a a nation. I, I think we're getting set up to suffer more and more persecution for being a Christian. And my friend, can I tell you? Rejoice. Glory in it. Because you and I get to shine for Jesus Christ, for the truth. And Christ is saying that. Here's what his attitude, he says, okay, it's going to happen. Here's your attitude. Look at verse 12, Matthew chapter 5, verse 12. Rejoice and be exceeding glad. Rejoice, be exceeding glad. Great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. And Christ says, whoa, be glad, be happy, be thankful, glory in tribulations. Well, my friend, that doesn't, <laughs> that's not normal. <laughs> that's not normal for someone who doesn't know Jesus Christ, who hasn't been justified. See, Paul is informing us and saying, wait, when you have a new nature, when you're a new creature in Jesus Christ, you come to understand that tribulations are a stepping stone and not a stumbling block. In fact, there's a natural part of life for a believer, and they are a good natural part. Uh, They're going to work some good in your heart and life as you have a right attitude and spirit in response. (coughs) Excuse me. It's not only here, but also in Paul's writings, we see the same perspective. Um, In his future letters, he acknowledges that life will be full of tribulations, full of troubles, solely because you and I bear the name of Jesus Christ. Solely because we decide to follow him. Hold your spot here, obviously. We want to come back. 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. 2 Corinthians chapter, excuse me, I said 8. It's actually chapter 4, verse 8. We'll start there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, notice it in verse number 8. Paul makes an uh, interesting assertion here at the first part of this verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Verse 9, persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed, and therefore have I spoken. We also believe, and therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus, and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes, that the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. Verse 16, (coughs) excuse me, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed 
He's built up. He's strengthened. He's encouraged day by day. They're tearing down the outward man. They throw me into prison. They've beaten me. The outward man is perishing. And, and honestly, all of us, are, we're suffering. Our physical body is dying and, and depleting. And yet the inward man is renewed day by day. Verse 17, for our light affliction, that's tribulation, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen. And here he presents the founding principle for you and I as believers. We don't look at the things that are temporal. We don't look at the things that are seen. We don't look at it from carnal human eyes. We look at it from spiritual eyes. But the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. So my question this evening is this. You say, okay, pastor, let's make it practical. What is, what's Paul wanting us to do? What are we challenged to do by the Holy Spirit? Number one, look at your tribulations from an eternal perspective. Don't look at them at a temporal, because a temporal perspective, we say, I'm so sick and tired of these tribulations. I, boy, I, I'm not going to hand it out a track. I'm not going to knock on doors. I'm not going to witness to my coworkers, because they're just going to yell at me, get mad at me. They're going to treat me horribly, persecute me, whatever the case may be. No, I'm looking at it with eternal eyes. I understand that any tribulation, any persecution that I suffer for being a Christian, it's going to work a far greater glory in me. And for the future, it is literally all about perspective. It is a grace-based, justified, produced perspective that moves us to do what? Well, first and foremost, to understand this. We are called to glory in our salvation because salvation being justified equals what? It equals tribulations. Now, I want to correct something real quick here. Okay, Roman number three, it says salvations. There's only one salvation. Okay. I accidentally left on an S there at the end of salvation. So that's not heresy. I'm not teaching more than one salvation. Okay. So just cross out that S on Roman number three. Okay. But we're back up at Roman number one. And uh, just in case we don't get to Roman number three, I want to correct that now. All right. So salvation equals tribulation. That's what we're glorying in. That's what Paul encourages us to do. When we look at, when we understand the truth, what do we look, how do we look at tribulations? Well, we look at them eternally different. It allows the seed of rejoicing and gladness to burst through the soil of our hearts and souls where the world says, that's crazy. You're suffering, man. I'm making fun of you because you're a Christian. I'm treating you bad because you're a believer. You say you fall after Christ and and I'm saying things to you that's not good. And yet you're rejoicing and glad. You have a great attitude and a great spirit. That's not right. That shouldn't happen. Well, my friend, that's because you and I can maintain an internal perspective. We can keep our eyes on the things that matters and understand that this tribulation that, that God has allowed and ordained, this persecution, God's going to use in our lives for good. For the believer who possesses this Pauline perspective, as we might, might describe it, tribulations and persecutions are viewed and considered proof. Proof of what? Well, first of all, it's a proof of salvation. There's no doubt of it that as you and I and, and we endure persecution and tribulation, it is proof. To be saved is to be a choice candidate for this kind of tribulation and persecution. Verse 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 even here says it. It points out that how um, literally for us it details how this light of fiction points us to an eternal weight of glory. You and I both know someone who's come to put their faith and trust in Christ and, and life is turned upside down after they trust Jesus Christ. 
Boy, persecution comes because why? They're, they're a child of God and Satan's upset and mad and the world doesn't want to let go and even their flesh doesn't want to let somebody else on the throne. And so persecution, tribulations, their friends don't like it. Their family ostracized them. And yeah, Why? Because they are a child of God. You suffer persecution because you are a child of God. You're saved. And then as the verse points out, secondly, why? It's a proof that we are living Christ-like, living godly. Those that will live godly shall suffer persecution. So it's further proof. If you are suffering persecution, uh, well, you're living a godly life. Literally, you're living like Christ. We'll see that here. You know, there's an erroneous or false teaching, erroneous uh, movement, and we might call that has taken root in churches for the last couple of decades. And it has infiltrated our churches, and it has infiltrated the minds and hearts of some believers. And it, it's the thought process or the teaching that basically says that, that Christians, as Christians, we should just blend in with the world. Where to live and to act like they do so they don't really think that, there's, that we're that different from them. Look, we're just like you, and, and we're, uh, if they think we're just like them, then they're going to accept our message, and they'll accept our Savior. I want you to listen carefully this evening. That kind of teaching or doctrine is authored by Satan, and it's co-authored by the flesh. Nowhere in scriptures do you find ever where God commands you and I to be like the world, to win the world. Nowhere does it tell you and I, blend in, camouflage yourself, and then everything will be just fine. No, understand this truth, and I think it's a great principle, again, on your outline here. As Christians, if we remove that which attracts persecution by the world, Okay, so if we remove that which is attracts persecution by the world, guess what? We will remove that which attracts the world to Christianity. So if we remove that which attracts, okay, boy, I'm going to stop handing out tracts because they, uh, they're making fun of me. My coworkers are laughing at me, and I'm going to stop knocking on doors because I get the door slammed in my face. I get people making fun of me and, and treating me horrible. I'm going to stop witnessing to my family and, and stop telling them what I believe and things like that because all they do is make fun of me. They tease me. They get angry with me, you know, so forth and so, off, uh, so forth and so on. Can I encourage you that if you and I remove that which attracts persecution by the world we will remove the very thing that attracts the world to christ to christianity it's a great principle because sometimes we as christians we we kind of get in our little bunker we kind of get in 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 our little cocoon and i don't want to say too much i don't want to upset the the apple cart can i tell you right now the truth is controversial it is. It's controversial. But as much as people say they don't like fake news, the reality is they don't like the truth either. Because the truth is, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The entire world needs a Savior. And that is a difficult truth for the world to grasp. And if you and I are, as Paul puts it, the life of Christ is manifest in us because we have died with Christ through salvation, the reality is, my friend, that's going to attract persecution and tribulation. And that is this, this tribulation, this persecution that, that God tells us to glory in. 
See, for the light to act more like the darkness inevitably renders our witness null and void. That for which we are most persecuted, that for which we are most persecuted is that which causes others to pause and ponder. You know, somebody said, how dare you say? How, how, who are you? Who gave you the right to tell, you, tell me I'm a sinner? You ever have somebody tell you that? I have. <laughs> who are you? You don't know me. How can you say I'm a sinner? How can you stand there and say that, that I'm a sinner? Can I tell you, the very thing that attracts persecution is the very thing that will also cause them to pause and ponder. The truth, your message, the things that you have to share, how you live. You live a holy, separated life unto God. Oh, yeah, they may make, may make fun of it. They may tease you. Family will say, why do you do that? Why do you give all your time to that? Why do you do that? They, they may rake you across the coals, as we like to say. They may tar and feather you. Co-workers may do the same. But I'm going to tell you, my friend, the very thing that attracts their persecution will be the very thing that attracts them to Jesus Christ. Hey, Christian, do you understand? The very thing that, well, I don't want to speak up and I don't want to do that. Well, if you don't speak up, they may never come to believe. Put their faith and trust in Christ. It is one of the aspects why Paul here and the Holy Spirit Certainly led Paul to say, well, now wait a minute, you and I need a glory in tribulations. Glory in tribulations? Well, it does something for us. These next few verses tell us, and it does not look like tonight we'll get into all of it, but the reality is this. You and I ought to glory in tribulation because our tribulation, this type, the persecution we suffer, is the very means by which we will reach the world. The very thing that will attract them to a Savior. If I suffer for living like Christ, you put it in any context. Many of you certainly suffer more than I do as you are in a workplace. I, I remember very, very vividly two or three workplaces that I, I worked out in the world, as we might describe it, where I suffered, and it was simple stuff, being made fun of, called goody two-shoes, Bible thumper, and, and all kinds of things. And I, I remember I worked in a meat department of a grocery store, and those guys tried to get me to curse and everything else, and even tried to get me to drink and things like I understand, made fun of me and so forth, and got mad at me because I wouldn't work on Sunday and tried to put pressure for me. I, listen, I it's all kinds of persecution. But I'll tell you, my friend, here's the reality. If you and I live like Jesus Christ, if we say, wait a second, I've been justified, and this new creature, this new life is supposed to look totally different than the old life and the old creature. If we do that, we will suffer persecution, but we sure are in good company, aren't we? Because Jesus Christ said this in John chapter 15, verse 20. Remember the word that I said unto you. The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. That's pretty good company to be in, isn't it? Our Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. To suffer right along with Him. All simply because I claim the name of Jesus Christ. I'm a believer. You and I know it right now in the world in which we live, the state in which we live. Man, why didn't you, why didn't you vote for marijuana? Why do you have a problem? Why do you have a problem with uh, letting people use the bathroom they want to use? 
Why do you get to tell somebody what their gender is? Why do you say, I can't use drugs? It's my body, it's my life. Don't tell me I can't drink alcohol. Can I tell you, you and I stand up for the truth, we're going to suffer persecution. It's going to happen. If you and I will, either one of two things is going to happen. Either we will speak up, we will suffer persecution and tribulation, or we'll learn to keep our mouths closed. And we will not shine like the light that God intended us to shine. The life of Christ will not be manifest through our lives as God intended. No, Paul introduces this theme of suffering here in Romans, and it carries through all of his letters and books about tribulations, about persecution, and he continues to build on it. He adds to what I would call the doctrine or theology of suffering saint, uh, and I love what he brings it to, the point that he brings it to in Romans 8. So let's jump ahead real quick, and we'll be done. Romans chapter 8. Excuse me, Romans chapter 8. Look with me at verse number. Romans 8. Look at, with me at verse number 18. Verse number 18. Notice this statement here. I know we're jumping ahead, and um, by the time we get there, we'll both forget it. Um, but uh, verse 18. And what a statement. I love this. For I reckon that the suffering of this present time, suffering, excuse me, of this present time, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Isn't that a great statement? Yeah, listen, I reckon. I, I've come and I've put it into balance. I, I've reckoned. I, I, like the reckoning of a checkbook. I, I, I put, put it all together and I compared it and I said, okay, wait a minute. I'm going to make this judgment. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time. What sufferings are you talking about, Paul? Not his tire going flat. Not this little thing here that everybody's suffering. No, no, no. The sufferings for being a child of God, a witness for Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ that speaks up. The sufferings that I I'm enduring at the present time for being a disciple of Jesus Christ are not worthy to be compared to the glory that I will enjoy in the presence of my God. That is a great statement, isn't it? See, friend, the next time that a coworker, a family member, maybe someone whose door you knocked on and they treat you a little rough, they persecute you, maybe they say something unkind and they make fun of you, they, they tear you down for being a follower of Jesus Christ, I, I want you to think about the glory that you and I are going to enjoy. Being with God for all of eternity. And the suffering. Now, how did Paul put it in 2 Corinthians chapter 4? That light affliction? That's not worthy to be compared to what you and I are going through. You know, when I think about what you and I can sometimes face for being a Christian here on earth, I sure am glad that this life is even but a vapor. It's soon gone. And eternity is coming. And what is eternity going to be all about? You and I reveling in the very glory of God. 